You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Have you noticed that all good things come in threes? XLR, AES, meat, cheese, and tortillas, Michael Lawrence, Chris Leonard, and Kyle Chernside, and now the Allen and Heath AHM Matrix family, AHM 64, AHM 32, and AHM 16. 96 kilohertz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Who says matrices have to be boring? Not us. We've never said that. Kyle said it once, but we proved him wrong. Check them out today. Welcome to the Signal Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. How was that one? Was that good? Yeah, sorry, I'm still. It sounds lost. like the other one. I'm still lost in trying to look at the. Uh, What's wrong, buddy? Setting. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm good. We're good. We're good. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time. Welcome, or, or welcome for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's super hot here in upstate New York. So I don't know if I'm going to make it through this whole episode without having to go for some sort of, uh, like frozen lemonade would be ideal right now. Um, when we were at a Coachella, we were just we were just pounding the frozen lemonades like it, like it was crazy. So we'll were see they, if were we they spiked. Were they spiked lemonades? No, it was. Yeah. But there was a strawberry variety that uh, Bobby and I enjoyed. And uh, Sam, where are you in the world? Uh, the Netherlands. Took wow. me a second. Yeah, we're in the Netherlands. They're going to show in Belgium tomorrow. Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, grass pop is tomorrow. We just do you, came off do, of you four have, do, you have, do you have a day off in um, Belgium? Are you in Brussels? No, I'm in Dresden, I think. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow, I don't know. Br- Guys, I don't awesome. know. I've been, I've been in so many countries. <laughs> I don't know anymore. We just did a four in a row where we flew into and out of every show, and every show was in a different country every day. Like at one point, I was like in a 16 hour period, I was in three different countries, and I still am not sure how I feel about that, but it was great. We had a good show. On to the next one. Michael, you had a you had a podcast episode come out today. Someone finally called you to be on their podcast. I did. I was finally I was finally on somebody else's show. Uh, I think I'm. I think it's like the only I'm like the only one out of the show that has not been on someone else's show. So that's cool. Wow. I was I was on I was on you you what you're new. You haven't you don't have you haven't had time for that yet. Um, I was on Dr. Frank Wardinger's uh, podcast, um, and his podcast is he's an audiologist. And uh, he talks all about um, hearing related issues. It was super fun. I think we should put a link to that episode in the uh, description. Absolutely. The it's uh, the podcast is called Talking Ears. It's right. Um, Talking Ears. And I listened to it today. It was uh, even though I've heard you talk a lot about SPL, um, I still heard new things in it, which was which was fun. It was it was good. And Joey made multiple appearances in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, that. You know, he made some contributions there. But um yeah, I've I've since since Jamie and I presented at the National Hearing Conservation Association Summit thing uh, back in like February. And that's what you might think, dude. But I've met some really cool people. Doctor Heather, I met Doctor Heather. So I keep getting these emails from like uh, really cool audiologists. I'm like, I'm all for this, man. I'm, this is really interesting. So yeah, it's been that's been fun. So yeah, Doctor Frank and I have been been chatting. Um, I'm I uh, I'm gonna go see Doctor Laura Sinnott next week. 
visit her office, which happens to be 20 minutes from my house. What are the odds? Right. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go visit her and uh, oh, actually, get an audiogram. So um, uh, uh, Frank, uh, Dr. Frank, I think I can call him at this point. Anyway, um, he's in Philly because yeah, you guys are you guys are old friends, right? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we're connected on Instagram now. Um, he, uh, he's in Philly. So yes. we're we're gonna we're yes. gonna, we're gonna meet up at some point once my life great. slows down. So, all right, I'm taking a field trip now. All right, Chris, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna be third wheel over here. We can we can go get our ears checked together. I'm ready. Hey, wow. I'll do it if you do it. I we talked about this. I will yeah. do it if you do it. Yeah. See. All right. That's good, guys. Friends, friends don't let friends yeah. have have audiograms loan. And I appreciate the I appreciate the initiative. That's really good. Um, all right. So before I sweat to death in my office. Um, our guest this week is Mr. Matt Meyer, who, uh, Matt, where are you joining us from? Uh, you're like sort of near me, right? Right now you're on the road. Yeah. Upstate New York. We're doing yeah, a baby. show in Canadagua. Did I say that right? You did. Is it hot there too? Or is it just my house? We have been, the heat wave has been following us around. We're doing a shed. <laughs> um, so this is the coolest day it's been by far. Like the last show was 98 degrees in the shade before humidity. So this has been like a treat to have like 87 degree weather. <laughs> nice. That's cool. Well, enjoy. Uh, stay hydrated out there. So uh, uh, Matt sent me an email. Um, so this is kind of a fun one because, you know, obviously in, in the last couple of months, I've, I've talked a lot about sort of my experiences and I was out with, with the Volbeat show um, and sort of the touring dynamic and all that stuff. And that was actually Sam's advice, which was, uh, you know, find yourself one person, they're going to be your tour buddy. And so Taylor and I kind of ended up being like really good friends and Taylor was my tour buddy. And Matt was just out with Taylor, I guess, um, and realized that she was the same Taylor that I kept talking about on the show. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, is to your tour buddy too, Matt? So, yeah, totally. So she was the A1 <laughs> for uh, Leon Bridges. And I was the, so on the last run we were opening, I was with a band named Child uh, with three eyes. And um, I was the only crew. It was just me and the band. So I was tour manager doing front of house and sending up monitors, helping patch the stage. So Taylor was my was definitely like my kind of my main buddy every day. And it was great. So I, I think that morning, again, we were driving, chasing a bus. So long drives. And I was listening to the Signal to Noise podcast of the one where I think she was on it. And I remember that basically, I don't remember how the conversation came up, but I said to her at some point at one of these shows, I said, oh, the kids are going to love it. And then she turned to me and she goes, she kind of like catches this thing. I was like, oh yeah, Signal to Noise podcast. And then and then she says, oh yeah, I, I did that recently. And then I was like, wait a sec, you're Taylor. Like it all kind of came together. I was like, you're Taylor. Nice. And so no, it was a really it was a really lovely moment. And yeah, she was great. That that whole team, the Leon Bridges team, is just big shout out. Those they're truly lovely people, top down artist team. Everybody was just so she, fantastic. She spoke very highly of it. Like the whole time we were out, she kept talking about Leon, Leon. That was like the thing she couldn't wait to get back to. And, you know, I'm probably going back out with Ghost in, in the fall. And we tried to get her back. And she's like, nah, I got to do Leon. <laughs> like she wouldn't do it. because uh, So Leon, that's her gig, I guess, uh, which is which was neat. But, you know, uh, it, I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit um, this idea of being the only person that a band has when they're at, the, at their, that point in their career where they've been able to hire somebody which is, you know, there's enough income coming in and the shows are getting big enough that you can hire somebody, but you can only hire one person. And that's a lot of plates to keep in the air. Um, so maybe you could share your experiences of that. I know that's something that that I definitely want to want to hear from you about. Yeah, you know, like it's, it's. I mean, I'm not old enough to know exactly when this started, but I mean, um, you know, the very first gig I ever jumped on 
you know, was uh, TM in front of house, you know, small indie Canadian band. I'm from Canada originally, uh, kind of cut my teeth up there and, you know, working in clubs starting out. But, the, you know, the very first touring gig I have, you know, I've, I've totally I understand it now. It makes perfect sense. The first thing a band wants to have an audio guy to translate all the time and effort they put on stage to the audience. It makes perfect sense. And the second thing they want to stop doing is booking hotels and advancing shows. <laughs> so, and so it, you kind of just get thrust in this tour manager position and like, you know, that's not, it's not something they prep you in school. Like, I mean, school barely prepped me for anything, but definitely no logistics, nothing like that. Uh, yeah, it, it becomes a lot. So, I mean, that kind of just comes with the territory and especially in Canada being such a small market, that's just the most common thing. I mean, I even, Again, a big band in Canada may not be a, necessarily a big band in the U.S. or you know Europe or outside of there, but even larger Canadian bands still kind of hold on to this one-person crew thing so often, this tour manager front of house thing, and so kind of just becomes it, it's so much just part of the ethos. It's just like something I've kind of done since day one, and kind of still continue to get these gigs. And you know, it's 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 kind of always up to me. You know, when I get offered a, a gig from somebody. You can kind of feel out if it's a club run or a small theater run. You kind of just immediately know like, okay, I know what this means. It means you guys need me to handle advancing, you know, help with driving logistics. Uh, it's just kind of always something I've always done. And like, you know, sometimes it's kind of nice. Like there's something, there's something really nice about kind of having everything handled yourself, just being all on top of it. Um, yeah, I, I've always kind of enjoyed it. And like, I, I don't mind taking these gigs every now and again, you know, it, it, depending on the needs of the band and if we can bring a console out, you know, to maybe mm. make a couple of those things a little bit easier. Yeah, I'm always up for it. it it's it's kind of fun, you know? Yeah, I've always kind of enjoyed it. And How has that been for you working with other teams and other like larger crews that are like not one person? You know, because at that point, right, like you there's even some more translation that has to happen. So how has that kind of worked for you? How have you navigated that? How I navigate that is like being, I, I try to be as friendly as I can with teams from day one and, and not just friendly, but also professional. Um, it's very important to me. Like I've, I've worked very hard over, you know, the last 12 or 13 years to like have my advance sheet dialed in, have all my stage plots accurate. Just like I, I before I even started advancing with, you know, the headliners and stuff, I'm working at home and I'm making sure all this stuff is like really tight. Um, I think that's important to like, when you're making that first step with a headliner, when you meet them digitally with that email, they go, okay, this guy knows what's happening. Uh, he understands the gig. And, and I've always gotten a good response from that. I've, as an opener, I've always been treated very well. Um, even by, you know, sometimes people who maybe you get the vibe that maybe that's not always the case, you know, maybe, you know, it's more difficult people, but, I think that's been a big key is like being well prepped and polite and uh, with no expectations. I think that's really important too. I always kind of talk to my bands, you know, I give them this kind of spiel. I'm like, all right, guys, here's what to expect. Nothing. We are <laughs> guests on someone's tour. And if they don't want to give you a sound check, that's their prerogative. You know, there, there can be many reasons for that. It doesn't just mean that they're being rude or something there's many reasons why that may not happen and that does happen um luckily i have not had anything quite that strict but i always tell my bands like hey coming into this expect nothing anything you get is a gift appreciate it and 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 i think i think that and i know that mentality translates like i'll tell you uh that leon gig 
every single day, one of the team members would like come up to me and, and say really friendly things like, oh my gosh, you guys are so nice. You guys are so easy to work with. And I like to think a lot of that starts with me. And it's not just that I'm the only nice person, but I do mm-hmm. try to set that tone for both my team and coming into the gigs. And I think that's always well received. And I think then that comes back towards us. And I think they give us more leeway and stuff. Um, and, and everyone from tour manager down to the audio team, that, that's how it's always been. So like on this Leon tour, again, uh, it's not that I expected Taylor or the A1 to help me patch the stage, kind of, because that also makes their job easier, you know, keep us moving, keep us flowing. But that just happens. Like, you know, uh, Leon's A1 was super friendly. Their monitor engineer would just check in and say, hey, is there anything I can help you with, you know, here and there? And then their front of house, uh, Tim, was like such a lovely man. He would just, he would, he was letting me use his console, which is super sweet every night. I was using his Avid S6L and he would just come sit out there with me kind of like for the first week and a half and kind of hold my hand. And, you know, I'd ask him some goofy questions like, hey, I'm missing this. Where's that dang button? And he was just always really sweet about it and like always very caring. And yeah, he was just, I really feel that it starts from day one. It starts with your prep and, and then, and that, and then you just continue, you kind of continue that stuff on tour. Just show up on time, be done on time, be courteous. And, and that stuff comes back to you. I I really believe that. And that's always been my experience. You know, you you said something that was really important because, you know, from, from the, the point of view of, somebody who's like you know so taylor and h and and i and uh and evan were universal crew so we're there to kind of look after everything um but you do have this dynamic where you're like hey sometimes you've got the support act and it's like these people aren't used to being in big venues and they don't understand what's happening and that can become a point of tension very quickly um so i think heading that off um, by having your ducks in a row and knowing the answers to questions when you're asked those questions and knowing exactly what you need and being self-sufficient, that does absolutely make everybody more willing to want to pitch in and help you out rather than it's like, you know, oh man, this guy's really, really dragging us, you know? And, you know, so, uh, Josh with twin temple, you know, see, he's in a similar position to you. He was kind of doing everything. He was handling the merch and handling their tour management and handling the front of house and mixing monitors and everything. And he called me up, you know, when we were in prep and he was just like, look, dude, I, I have a lot of stuff going on. I'm not really, I don't consider myself a mixer that much. He's like, I've never mixed on a, on a rig that's big in the club. So like being in an arena is like a new thing. And what do I need to know? Um, and this is what I've been doing and, and how should I need, how do I need to change that? And I think that's the right approach was just to go like, first of all, look, I have a lot of things to keep an eye on here. Um, but also, Hey, what should I, what do I need to know to make this easier for everybody? So, you know, we talked about the best way for him to drive, a PA of that size is maybe not the best way to, that you would drive it like uh, in a club situation. Like those things change, you know, I mean, he's not used to having systems engineer. So he's not used to walking up to a PA every day that, that his board mix is going to just sound like it did yesterday. Um, so that changes some things for him and how he's doing, you know, his council routing. And then we need to talk about, Hey, we need to figure out a way to get your desk out of here at this time so that the, the headliners can have the space that they need. And, and all of those things just, are easier conversations, I think, if if you are doing your homework, so to speak, um, because you really you really don't want to be like I'm going to use the, the expression third wheel. Like you don't really want to be kind of this extra. Th- you're like, oh yeah, these guys keep asking for some stuff and they don't know what's going on because it's their first time in a in an environment like this. And um, yeah, I've definitely seen that 
you know, even at festivals and stuff, you can tell, you can always spot the bands that just blew up and they're at their first festival, you know, and they're just super not prepared for it. So um, what was the learning curve for you? I mean, the, I'm sure you've picked some things up along the way of, you know, being on bigger systems and being, you know, a small part of a larger production and sharing front of house space and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure you, you kind of had some adjustments you had to make. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've been very blessed to, you know, do like, you know, grinding in clubs for many years. And then I've, you know, done all sorts of touring theaters, sheds, arenas to stadiums. Um, and so you do kind of learn that. I, I really think the bigger the shows get, the more, uh, a few things, obviously, but like a big one is like knowing when to get out of the way, mm-hmm. knowing when to get in the way. Uh, communication, I think, is I, I guess the answer for that really is communication. Learning how to communicate with a ton of stagehands is obviously the biggest change, I'd say. Just a bigger team. In a club, it, it was me, the promoter, and the band. And like you said, maybe the band has no idea what's going on. Maybe they do. But as soon as, uh, yeah, so like uh, today's a great example. Um, you know, we might have had 10 stagehands uh, pulling out. And it's sort of things like I, I, you can never expect we're in a new we're in a new room every day you can't expect that these teams understand that how your rig's going to tear down how you like to clean up how you're put stuff away into your mic boxes into your stands cables so communication is a big key uh, me and my team talk a lot about that early on in the tour all right guys you know once we've set up immediately after we're done sound checking we're going over for dinner we're talking about all right the loadout how can we make this loadout most efficient as possible and usually that involves communication with the stagehands. And so most venues, especially when the stagehands are good, we'll have that we'll have that talk. Me and the steward, the lead of you know the lead uh, guy for the stagehands, will say, "All right, guys, here's the plan. We have to think about cable runs. We have to think about just like space in the hallway. Where are we going to tear down? Um, where can deads kind of live?" Um, just, just a lot of coordinating, I think, is kind of what I've learned. Like, really makes this job easier because I mean, like, trying to do all that stuff yourself is. Of course you could, but it's going to take a ton of time. It's going to be frustrating. It just doesn't make sense. People are going to be upset with you. So just learning how to communicate with with this, with the venue, I think, is really the biggest uh, thing, kind of coming up from clubs and going to these bigger rooms. I think that's, that's the most important thing I've come across. What was it like for you working with a systems engineer for the first time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. I don't even Mike, need to be here anymore. Michael, I was going to fucking leave. Michael cool. has trained Sam well. I'm ready. Amazing. Like, honestly, as, as a front of house, it, Michael kind of said, it's just like showing up with your show file on every day and your mix sounds the same. That takes an uh, unbelievable amount of work off your plate. Like, it's like, it's crazy. And then at that point, you're just kind of making sure things are patched in. The volumes are the same they were the day before. No one, you know, no guitar amp accidentally got cranked somewhere weird. I think that having an SE uh, just makes the job so much easier. I'll tell you, I have never had an SE where it was my call where I said, hey, here's what my curve should look like. Let's make this happen. It's always been me jumping onto the headliners uh, file with their SE file. And you know, I will say, I, you know, it's funny. I talk to a lot of engineers about this and I find a lot of engineers are really scared to mess around with like the frequency response or to mess around with that stuff as the opener. Like uh, it, even, you know, guys on, on the tour I'm on now, it's like they're really hesitant to want to pull anything or, you know, change the EQ of the front of house, the mains, the fills, anything like that. Um, I don't shy away from that. I, I, if the, 
you know, if the headliner likes a certain sound in his PA and that just doesn't work for my mixing style or just, you know, the way my file is built, I'll start pulling at stuff, you know? And like, and, and so uh, sometimes I guess I'm kind of stepping on the SE's feet a little bit there, I, but I don't, I don't think so. I mean, two things. First of all, I, I use a separate set of inputs for everybody. So everyone's got input EQ and it doesn't matter, you know, this band A has their curve and band B can have their curve and, and I'm going to tune it to the headliners thing so they don't need any EQ. But if you want more or less, I have an EQ and that doesn't cost anything, right? So so that's why I set up my drive like that. But the other thing is, and I and I did went through this with Josh with Twin Temple. Hey, I know you're just sending left, right right now, but let's take it through a matrix. And then let me show you every day, just you've got this, this low shelf on your matrix. And if you want more or less of that tilt, just rock that up and you don't have to didn't forget it's there. And so by the third show, he was like, okay, I get what you're saying now. Like that's my, you know, that's my adjustment. And of course, if you need something, you can ask me. I mean, I don't, I, I worked with some artists who I had to really train to feel like it was okay to ask for their monitor engineer to make a change. Um, Cause they were like, I don't want to bother him. I'm like, that's his job. Like that's why he's here. He's getting paid to listen to you and do what you want. And it's the same thing when you've got an SE, if you don't like something about the system, that's their job is to is to keep tabs on the system. So have that dialogue. But there's a couple ways to do that, you know. But yeah, I, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't ever say that you're stepping on the SE's toes by trying to make sure your show sounds the way that that it's supposed to sound. That's that's your job, um, you know. Then I guess yeah. more it's that I don't usually ask them and I just kind of do it myself. <laughs> but Which that's is fine too. Yeah, I think that just comes from where I came from. I think that's just. Uh, that's just how I've always worked, you know, like I, I matrix out my, my, I don't send left and right, you know, I send mm. fills, subs and all that. So I've already got all that control at my fingertips and I'm just used to grabbing, you know, my parametric EQ and doing what I need to. For me, it just kind of feels easier in a way just because it's already there and just, I know how to do it, but I've, well, I, you, you know, you know what you want, you're hearing it. It's easy for you to just bang it in. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's, that's why it's there, man. But you make a good point. Like there would be a conversation to be had where I could say to the SE, you know, who's sitting there watching the baseball game while I'm doing my uh, my show and say, hey, I like the way it's sounding right here. Can you walk the room and make sure that it's translating everywhere else? That's not something I've done, but I'm going to put that in my pocket and take that with me after this. Yeah. That's something like even I found myself doing because we're kind of doing this like rotating opener and like festival run right now where we sit a bunch of clubs and then now we're doing this crazy festival. It's been an interesting combination because some of these shows are large enough that we're like, I'm acting as like the SC for everyone. And then sometimes I walk into a festival and it's like, all right, I'm going to do what my front house engineer needs me to do. And depending on where we are on the bill, sometimes I can do more and sometimes I can do less. And sometimes I hear the PA before we start. Sometimes I don't. Um, and so that makes it interesting, but on the shows where like we have a couple openers and maybe local audio is just kind of like set it and forget it, um, sort of thing. Uh, I do like to walk with the opening for the house this year. It's something I've noticed and I'll, I, I found that they seem to like, if I let them know, like, Hey, like we were in a tent last show and it was just it's like plastic walls, tent, like way brighter and just harsher at mixed position than everywhere else and i was like heads up like i know like you don't have to listen to me like go walk go listen to it but like it's gonna rip your head off right here and it's gonna be fine everywhere else like there's nothing anybody can do about it so just like keep that in your back pocket it's just stuff like well that. that's part i mean that's part of the thing is that front of house can't they can't hear the system from other places right 
Um, so there's a function there, Matt, where you're like, gee, are those front fills too much? You can ask. Totally. Hey, are those front fills too much? You know, I mean, that's that's part of the utility of that. So so I wouldn't I wouldn't ever shy away from asking the system engineer to to give you input or give you feedback. Um, a lot of a lot of conversations I find myself having are bands that have come from the club level and are coming up to a, a festival or an arena level mm-hmm. system. And that's a different it's a different animal. Um, and so the way that you might approach a mix um you know, I'm not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole today because I wrote a whole chapter about it in my book, which is the thing we haven't talked about on the show yet, but we're going to talk about it at some point. Wink, wink, but, wink, wink, but keep going, but, oh. but hold on, I'm going to stop the, for the one second you, because we're already oh dear. tangent. Um, I see the rails. No, uh, so it's changing colors. You, you got it right, Sam. So, it's green. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Oh, shoot. It's green. I didn't catch yeah, that. Changing. So, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. jellyfish is changing Sam colors. has this really cool, elaborate, like, jellyfish glowing orb thing behind her above her headboard in a hotel. It's freaking awesome. So, and now just, it's green. It was purple uh, when we started. No, yeah. but the, c- conceptually, uh, had it's the both- conversation of, I know you're used to going into a club and doing this. But when you do this on an arena system or a festival system that has delays or whatever, it's not going to react the way that you think for whatever reason. And so I'll give you whatever you want, but just be mindful of these things that you probably aren't used to thinking about because, you know, when you're a club, you hear the whole system. When you're at a festival, you're hearing two out of 10 hangs maybe. Right. So it's just a very different thing. And so you really do increase your reliance on somebody who is not stuck at mixed positioning can go and hear what's happening in other places. I mean, that, that becomes a more important part of the equation, I think. So yeah, I, I would encourage that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with just asking, like, especially if I have any technical issues, like there's nothing wrong with asking the house SC to just say, Hey, can you just make sure all the front fills are on? It would just make me feel better. Like that's, I find like that's a nice way to start. Um, I, I worked with a lot of engineers that kind of did that. And I, it's something I've really enjoyed seeing people do is just in this little, hey, you know, I don't want to ask you to change anything about your system. I'm not trying to, like, do your job, but it would make me feel better if just, you could take a walk. Let me know. That's yeah, like, I definitely, like, shows where I have the time. If I've got a sound check and you know, I've got that luxury, I, I make sure I walk all the all the spaces. You know, I want to hear the crossover point where the fills and the, the main hang sort of meet. I want to make sure that's clean. Uh, there's no weird delays that outfills. Like I, I definitely make sure of doing that. But yeah, you're right. Festivals where it's just like, hey, it's time to go. I mean, unless I've got, unless I'm smart enough to get there early and walk for like one of the other opening bands. Yeah, it's, it, it's yeah, it's definitely like a, hey, I hope this goes. Or I hope I'm not blowing people's face <laughs> off of those front fills down there. It also it it doesn't scale up, right? So in a club, you can step out of the the mix position for 12 seconds. At a festival, a walk, you want to hear everything, a walk's going to be 15 minutes, maybe. There might be 40,000 people that you have to navigate through, you know. And I mean, Sam, you were telling me there was a day where you were just like, I can't walk. I can't, yeah, physically can't did. get through that, that yeah. massive human meat. So, yeah, we did Rock M Ring, which was like 90,000 people and trying to walk. I got there, but it was like I spent the morning watching people move around and was like, okay this is my path. Like it was like, <laughs> I like, I intentionally was like, I'm going to get crushed trying to move. If I don't look at this right now, you need like a, like one of the, put on the dune buggies, like the flag on the, on the elastic tent stake in the backpack. So, yeah. <laughs> don't step on me. <laughs> Yo, flashlights, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Just fucking go. Yeah, blast them with a flashlight. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I call that move in a busy, in a quiet, <laughs> or sorry, yeah, excuse me, a dark, busy club. Now you've got that, you're doing the security thing with the flashlight over your head, just pointing it down in front of you as you walk around. Yeah. 
drunk that, people that are ignoring it. you. It's a lot. How about the relationship? Um, you know, when you when you are that TM and front of house, you're all in one. Um, how much it? How much of it is in your mind that you are representing the brand? that is that artist right so there's a lot of people that you deal with it that they don't get to do with the artist directly do with you and how much mental headspace do you have to be that like people's association with this band is actually directly related to the interactions with you my feeling is that's actually both ways i think the band i represent the band and i actually i feel very much that the band represents me i think that's a i think that package kind of comes together um I've worked with artists who I can't say I thought were really great people. And, you know, they do, you know, in, in, in you know, with the exception of like massive venues, they, they do end up interacting with a lot of kind of the team, uh, the venue staff, all that. Like, mm. I, I, I very much think that my artist represents me and vice versa. Like, I, I think that that connection that people have in their head, uh, let's say you're on tour with an artist who maybe isn't the most friendly and, you go to a venue, you come back to that venue a year later, they're going to remember the artist and they're going to remember that experience. And then they're going to mm. see me and go, oh, you know, I, I think that's tied together. Hmm. So I really think that's a two-way thing. Um, and and I'm, I, I'm very cognizant of that. Um, I very much am like, uh, especially post-COVID, with the amount of jobs that are available, I'm very much like being more and more selective about the artists I work with and making sure that they align with the kind of, people i want to work yeah. with just generally no, that um, makes sense five one said that's that. a like great point five yeah. one actually said that he interviews the artists he's working with because <laughs> he's like look if i if i can't be on the same page as you this is not going to be a good fit for me either so i mean that's yeah but the other extension of that kind of on a technical uh angle too is and we've talked about this but it's the same thing matt when i go into a festival or i go into a venue i'm representing whatever artist I may be the only interaction with that artist's team that these that these people have. And so I have had to say to venue people, we have to do something about this because this is not up to the artist's standards. This is not the way they want it. And and I can't just say that. I have to actually understand what the artist wants and what they're going for and what things they would want me to talk about and bring up and push back on and what things they, they would say, it's just make it work. Yeah. Um, finding that line... Uh, and it's a different, it's a different line for every artist, you yep. know? Um, then when you go, here's the spec and then they go, well, we got to cut the budget somewhere and you have to like, you know, at what point am I compromising the thing that I've been hired to do? And at what point do I need to make it work because the artist needs to make money so they can keep doing it. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a really tricky thing, but it, it goes right down the same lines of, you know, representing your artist. I need to have a very clear idea of what, what they're trying to do, what their vision is, what their show is, how they want it to sound, how they want it to be perceived. And that has to be a guiding force when I'm going to go into a management or local crew or whatever and say, hey, this isn't going to work for us, guys. This is not going to work for our show. We need to do something else. So that, that has to be guided by what, you know, at least my perception of, of the artist's vision. And so, yeah, there has to be that understanding, I think. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah. And you know what, like, not every artist I've worked with has those kind of conversations with me. Not everyone, every artist I work with has that understanding of, hey, this is not enough subs in the room. Not every artist I know works with that. But yeah, for example, the last tour I was on, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of artists we work with now are studio geniuses. They've been doing it forever in their bedroom. They already know what's up. They know what they want. They know how to mix their own songs. They, they know how they want to be represented. So this last run I was on, um, 
yeah, my artist would, you know, sometimes pop out to front of house during sound checks and he would come up to the console and we'd talk about it. And it was so, it's so cool. I love, I love talking to artists in that way because it's always so impressive to me how different they see things than, than the way I just would have assumed them to be. Mm. Um, <laughs> this, this artist I was working for very much a chill kind of show, very much like soul kind of electric soul. And I remember at, at a festival, the stage manager comes up to me and goes, Oh, we got pyro. Do you want pyro? I'm like, no, no, there's no way this show needs pyro. <laughs> and after the show, I had mentioned that to my artist. I'm like, dude, the funniest thing happened. Like the stage manager asked for pyro. Can you believe it? And he goes, dude, yeah, pyro. Like, of course I want pyro. I'm like, like, <laughs> I, I mean, for the record, who the heck doesn't want pyro? I mean, come on. No, but that's that's an awesome point because a lot of that. Yes, I, I know. It's that, an awesome point. Who doesn't want pyro? No, I'm not talking about the pyro. I'm talking about sometimes it's sometimes it is explicit where the artist will say, I want more spring reverb on my vocal or I don't, you know, actual thing that artists said to me, I don't want to see cables hanging from the PA. So you have to use a, a, a cable pick point, right? Explicit. But sometimes it's not because they might not know exactly what technically they're asking for, but they do know that they trust you because they hired you to do it to a certain level. And so in that case, your standards become the artist standards because you were hired to do that job. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that took me a while to figure out, I think, where I some artists, I'm not going to go and knock on their door and ask them about front fills. Right. Um, but I do know that if if some things aren't a certain way, they wouldn't be satisfied with that. So, so even though there may be not be an explicit conversation about this particular technical thing, I still have an idea of what they're going for. And I can still use that to inform those, those type of conversations. So I think that's, that's something that, that took me a while to really figure out is that just because the artist didn't specifically say this to you, there's still a trust in you to do your job to a certain level, you know, that, that again, that pyro thing kept coming up. I remember as well, um, again, this Leon tour, we were using the headliners, uh, LD and I went up to her and I said, listen, you need to throw everything you think is right about this show, throw it out the window. He wants an EDM light show. He wants an unbelievable amount of like movement. Uh, he wants, he wants the show to feel way more high energy than it looks. And, and that, and it's, it's like he just said, that came from the artist saying one thing to me is like, I want this to feel not wrong. That's not the word, but he said, I can't remember exactly how we put it, but he's like, I want this to be jarring. I want this to be an experience. Mm. I want people to Aggressive. go almost, yeah, yeah. Almost like, what did I just see? Like, what, what was that experience I just had? Like he, he wanted people to sort of be shocked a little bit, you know, just not expecting something. And so, and, and that's what, so that one conversation I can now answer 20 different questions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, I, I saw an artist that I was working for say to the lighting person, I want it to be more mysterious. And that was the note, you know? And so he's got to go redo like 70 cues based on that. And and sometimes it's like, I don't want pink. I don't want green. Right? You know, sometimes it's specific, but but I just thought about, you know, I laughed when he said, hey, just tell him to make it, make it more mysterious. Um, because that you now, you now as a professional have to go and interpret that. And Chris, you've yeah. talked about this all the time when you're mixing monitors, when they say, make it sound more purple or make it sound warmer or whatever. It's not a technical feedback necessarily, but it's still a directive from the artist on how they want this thing to go. And then we as technical professionals have to figure out how to implement that. You know, Or I, I would say um, sometimes interpreting someone's request means, oh, well, 
specifically monitors be like oh i need more bass well no you need less kick or something in order to accentuate the be- the bass or mm-hmm. you, you know so uh in other contexts that can be taken differently like you know yeah, the mysterious thing okay well it doesn't mean you want less of this or more of this it means you need less of this to actually accomplish that so you know those types of contexts well it's feedback you get the feedback you you go okay let me try this thing and then you either get more feedback and you readjust or you go, oh, you're happy? Okay, cool. We're going to keep doing that. I mean, that's that's really what it is. Sometimes it's not explicit. Sometimes it's not obvious. But um, I really like what you said about we need to be on the same page as the artist here because that's important because I, I don't want to be working for an artist who is unreasonable um, and isn't. And and then I have to go and be unreasonable to the the crew or I have to sort of you know sort of insert myself in there and try to water things down. Like that's not a fun gig. Um, so yeah, no. I, I actually hadn't really thought about that too much, Matt, but I think that's a great point is in like, it, is this artist a good fit for me? You know? Well, the thing is too, when, when I'm doing these gigs, which luckily I don't always do it, but when you're doing front of house TM, maybe you're helping drive if you're in a van, my gosh, um, you're already so, you're already so thinned out. It needs to be good. It, it has to be like, it can't, you can't be working your ass off like that. And then also not be having a good time. Like, I mean, I, I absolutely love touring. I'm one of those people who loves everything about it and I enjoy it. And so I don't want to do a gig where I'm not enjoying it. Cause then it, why am I there? You know, it's, I'm already working hard, which I enjoy doing, but yeah, I, it, to me, to me, that's become the most important thing, especially post COVID, especially now that we can pick gigs more than we've ever been able to due to, you know, staffing shortages. I just, to me, that's number one. Um, I think I used to think about working and making money and like, sure, like I want to pay the bills, but it's, as long as the gig pays the bills, I'm more about the people, the team. I mean, that's just that's just number one for me now. Uh, that's, yeah. that's all I care about. Well, and that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, even though you may enjoy most of what you get to pick now, what are what do you least like about being a TM? Oh, merch. I don't do merch. <laughs> I, 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 I've, I actually have told bands, I'm like, I, I can't do merch. Um, something about, I, I, I consider myself quite a perfectionist. I, I work really hard to get the job done the best of my abilities. And I, I know I have the ability to do it well. So I make sure I can. Merch, for some reason, I can never get those numbers to add up. And it stresses me out so much. Not even just because I'm doing a bad job, but I feel like I'm stealing from the artist. Like anytime, if we're 30 bucks short, I feel like I lost $30 of the artist's money, which is effectively what that is. And that stuff bothers me. It keeps me up at night. I, I just, and I don't do it anymore. I've told them, I'm like, I will get the logistics. I'll make sure it lands at the venue. I will grab the money at the end of the night. I'll grab the sheet and then I'm going back to the hotel. Like I, I'm, I'm just, it, it's especially because my whole view on having a merge person is just that that's, that's the money maker on tour anyways hire that mm-hmm. person like that is the one position on a tour that makes money they pay for themselves put them in the put them on the bus if you got bus space it, it, yeah merch merch is the worst part about being a tm stuff <laughs> that's easy yeah so on the other side of that what over the years have you figured out like makes a gig a good fit for you like do you have a checklist like what's how did you figure out what was the right it's just about the people for the most part. Like, I mean, I, I, I am one of those people who enjoys mixing all kinds of music and I've been very lucky to do that. Um, the exception of metal, I've still never done a metal gig. I don't think I will, but 
I think I can always enjoy. Yeah, I can always enjoy the music. So that's never the issue. Because again, at the at the point where the the level of bands that I work with, they're already good. That that's a given. They're good in some way. There's something to enjoy. Um, so really, it's just about the personalities of the people. And but that's what's so tough about that. It's like you don't really know until you get on the bus. Like there's you, you don't get to meet the real person until you've done four shows in a row. You're exhausted. You know that's when you really meet somebody, right? Um, so that, that's a tough one. I mean, there's no, there's no checklist. There's, there's no, uh, five, one doing interviews is brilliant. I mean, I've definitely have done that before. Um, but again, I don't always I mean, get that the luxury. Record, I, 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 and this is no shot at you five run five, one is working on a slightly different level. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, and, and there's no shot at you. Right. I mean, when you, you're working with Prince and Tyler, the creator, and that's it. A, yeah. Like, I mean, that's, I, that's the I, top yeah. level, man. I, He's on a level of his own. Oh yeah. 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 He's yeah. Just, it's, it's five one. There's there's yep. a yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what? There's another aspect of this too. Um, I do a lot of one-offs. I do a lot of fly dates. I do a lot of fill-ins. So I'm filling in for an artist now on three shows. So we're not going to be buddies, right? Like that. We're not going to establish that relationship. But I am doing advancing, and I'm talking to their production manager, and I'm talking to their tour manager, and I'm talking to their front of house. And so on this particular job that I'm doing. There are some challenges in this one particular venue that we're doing where we can't hang the PA that they're they're carrying on the rest of the tour. And so they basically came to me and said, hey, you're you're handling these dates. What do you think we should do? And I looked at it and talked to the venue, looked at the drawings and spent some time in the prediction. And after I understood what what they had, I said, look. Because of the way this venue is configured and because of the rigging and, and the structure and blah, 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 blah what you have on your truck is not the best option here. And here's what I can do to make that work. But what I really recommend is rent this other thing. Um, and that's a dicey position to be the new person who's coming in and is going, your shit's not good enough. Go spend some more money. Like I understand mm -hmm. the optics of that. Um, so I, that's why I laid it out. I said, if you want to use what you have on your truck, this is what I will do. Uh, and this is the, these are the compromises that are going to happen as a result of that. If you want to do it better, this is what I think you should rent. And here's what that looks like. And here's here's why it's superior in these ways. And then I go, you tell me what you want to do. So I'm not I'm not coming in and bullying anybody. I'm not asking them for anything. I'm just saying, here are some options for you. This is what I would do. This is what we can do with what you have. And they came back and said, I think you're right. We want to we want to get the extra stuff. And that tells me a lot about the artist, even yep. though I haven't spoken to the artist. Um, yep. Because that's a top down thing where they signed off on a non, you know, it's a non-trivial expense to rent in a different PA system um, because I, because they're trusting me that it's going to be that much of an improvement that they should pay the money for it. And, and that tells me a lot about the artist. And that, that makes me go like, I'll work for these people. I'll work for this artist again, because this is somebody who's set up a culture where they care about getting it right. And that's important to me. You know, I, I have experienced that for sure in different ways. I mean, I, again, I'm not, I'm not carrying PA on a lot of these gigs, obviously, but I've, I've definitely had the same experience where, uh, yeah, great example on this last run uh, for the Leon thing, this band kind of built a custom in-ear rig, just an X32 rack. And uh, they kind of described to me that it was very important to them that the, the mics off stage hit our console, our split before they go to front of house. That was very important to them. And so I had a conversation with them. I said, okay, well, what, in my opinion, what that needs to happen is that we need to start carrying sub snakes. 
uh, just to like to guarantee that ability. We're not relying on the venue to like maybe have them have the right placement. And and the artist just said, yeah, of course, like that's important to us. And 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 it's mm-hmm. just like you said to me that indicated where their headspace is at with this sort of stuff. And 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 yes, that actually that's a great thing. That that definitely is part of my checklist. Right? Oh, go okay. They care about this. They respect my opinion. Um, and we can, we kind of, kind of work on that. I'll say though, Michael, like you, you're, you're a very different kind of audio person in the sense where like you, you did it the right way. You, you did, you did your homework. Um, you're, you're very well spoken. You're very well educated about this stuff. So you can, you can give them a, Hey guys, this is the right way to do it. What do you want to do? And, and like, again, I, I, I think that's a, that's the right way to do it is to have your homework done, speak eloquently. And, and I think people will respond well to that. I think that's, again, this, this kind of goes back to, I think to what I said earlier, just about being prepared, having your stuff dialed in and tight. People pick up on that. I think that's, that's a, I think that's a big skill. I think it's quite a skill that people it, need to. For sure. And, and I, and I want to say for, I know a lot of people listening are going, I don't work for an artist. I work for a church or I work for a college or, or whatever. The, the same rules apply. Somebody's signing a check, right? And so, if I am known for every show I come into, I ask for somebody to rent something, that's not a reputation that I want. That's going to that's gonna not be good in the long run, right? Um, so you don't cry wolf. My rule is I don't ask for something I don't need. I'm not going to overspec a system and know because they're going to cut it down. I'm just going to say, this is what I need to do the job. This is why I'm recommending this. But at the same time, maybe it's you're asking your pastor at your church to get uh, new microphones, or maybe you're asking your college to rent you six more boxes of P like whatever that thing is. Um, it comes back to that trust and they've delegated to us to be professionals and understand the technical aspects of this that our supervisors probably don't know, especially at a college or at a church or something like that. Yeah. So, so presenting it in a way that says, look, I've looked at this and I've done my research on this and I understand what the goal is here. And this is why I think we should do this. And if you don't like that option, this is another thing that we can do. And, and here's here's that. That is really, I think, where it where it tends to be successful, because, um, you know, that's kind of the whole point of like, what what's your function here? You know, um, and, and I also don't don't shy away from that conversation. A lot of people will just say, well, we you know, my church has crappy. Like, have you had a discussion about upgrading it? Um, a lot of times just coming in and saying, look, I'm passionate about this. And I, I work with this stuff every week and I've thought a lot about how I think we can make this better. And I want to, I want to talk to you about that. And that, that works a lot of the time. It really does work. So I, I would encourage anybody who's listening to have that conversation. And people care about that. You're literally investing your own free time into this, into this church, into this school, into this company, this artist, like people respect that. Like, I mean, it's just, it just, to me, it seems obvious. Of course the budget matters, but like, yeah, when you come to them and say, Hey guys, I've done the homework. I've looked at this this is a great option for us. This is the smartest option for us. It's mm. kind of hard to say no to. It really is. Yeah. Well, and I think, Michael, you and I talked a little bit about this, but just knowing that like, you're, knowing that you have the space to do the job you were hired to do, right? Like there's a lot of power and value in that and saying like, hey, like this is, this is why you have me out here. Like this is my whole gig, right? So I don't need you to understand how to read all these predictions or what these numbers mean or these were smart data. Like you don't, you don't need that. Right. I'm, I'm here to translate. I'm here to do my job and then translate what you need to know. So that way you trust that I'm doing what you need to do and you can hear the results. Right. Um, and yeah. it doesn't. And, and it, it, they may not even be a technical thing. It may just be about who else is advocating for your artist other than you. 
we did I did a festival thing where we, you know, I my thing is for the artists I work with, it's very important that the PA is is in good shape. So that means I'm there when the truck dumps in the morning, if I have to be. If I haven't seen a prediction that I like and I, I'm not confident in the, the way it's going to end up, then I'm going to go in and I'm going to help and I'm going to be involved with that conversation. Because what's not cool is to wait until someone's put this PA up and tuned it and then show up and, and make them change it. Like, I, I want to be part of that discussion so we're all on the same page. Um, and so we we do this and then we have another artist who shows up the next day and, and wants to move stubblefers and things. And I said, no, my artist is already sound checked. You're not moving it. Right. Um, and so the thing with that is I don't want to I don't want to provoke tension with this other artist's team. Uh, you know, I know they're front of house engineer and we're friends and we respect each other and and I don't want to make him agitated. Um, but I said, well, I don't really think that's cool, y'all, because we already sound checked and then you don't want to start moving the whole PA around. Like, I feel like if, if you all had already sound checked and we showed up and want to move the PA around, you wouldn't be cool with that. And what actually happened is that other artists front of house went into that artist management and said, that's how you defend your show. Get on, get on the train. Like, and he was like, yeah, that's it, man. Because if I didn't speak up, who else is going to do it? Um, and so that's part of it too, is just being the voice, being the advocate in those conversations. Again, whether you're working for an artist, whether you're working for a church, whether you're working for a local band, um, having that situational awareness to see stuff that's, that's going on that might, cause a negative impact on what you're trying to do and to just be in that conversation because your artist isn't there to do it or your pastor's not there to do it or, or whatever that may be. You know, it's just, it's just about being, I think, present and, and paying attention. And uh, that goes sort of back to what, what Sam was talking about, like being friendly and likable so that you can have that conversation. Very important. That's huge. You know, like uh, I've worked on productions with people. Where I'm like, I, I don't like that PM and I don't want to talk to them. So I'm just going to shut up and deal with this because I don't want to talk to this person because they're unpleasant. So part of it is that as important as this gig is and as important as it is to keep our jobs. We meet these people as we go through our career and I'm going to see those people again. Um, you know, I could have been a, I could have been. Shout out to Bobby Brickman, who is our, our vendor SE at Coachella. You know, I could have showed up and said, this is what we're doing and blah, 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 blah. And maybe would have got that show the way I wanted it, but would not have had a good relationship. And I didn't do that. And Bobby and I showed up and we were like, hey, let's let's get this going together and let's do a good job and let's work together and let's communicate and, and let's make this thing good. And we did. And we're great friends now. And we we trade gigs and we help each other out with stuff. And so like that relationship means way more to me than the 45 minutes that my artist is going to be on stage. And so I think sometimes we have to just have the perspective of, yeah, I have a goal here that, you know, I need to get what I want out of this um, because that's my job. But also I, I want to have preserve these relationships and I want to be likable and I want to have this conversation be non-confrontational. So the next time I run into this person professionally, we're going to have a good day. Absolutely. You know? Right. And like picking your battles, right? Like I did a show a couple weeks ago and, you know, the, the house SE was like, Hey, you know, this is kind of where I'm at. Like, this is what I really, really want. Like these, you know, the main system, I kind of main sides delays and I kind of done a design and there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of negotiation <laughs> over the PA design. Uh, and I got there and it was not really exactly what I had expected. Uh, based on the files and so we talked about it. i was like look like I, I hate to make you guys rehang this i'm not gonna be like rehang everything it was like what's you know what's your hard and fast line it's like those delays are where i want them like this is this is i'm not touching the delays i was like that's fine 
I will not touch the delays if you let me rehang the sides. And I'll, I promise I'll leave the mains alone. Like, and they were like, oh, and that's like what we agreed on. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm happy to meet in the middle. Everybody has a better day. I'm going to do what I can. You're going to do what you think is right. We're, we're going to make it rock. It's going to be great. That's what we do tonight. Like, well, the sense of priority there is important. Like, okay, well, I see three things that, that are problematic, but what's the biggest problem and what's going to get me the biggest gain? If I can get one thing, what's going to make the biggest improvement? And that may be a better mixed position for my front of house engineer. Right. That may be the five more minutes during changeover. That may be saying, no, we don't want to share that stage rack. I mean, whatever those issues are, you have to prioritize them and you have to go for the ones that are going to be the most meaningful improvements, I think. And that that's a skill that's just acquired because sometimes you have to make that call really quickly. You know, and I, and yeah. I think for me, learning what what's important to who I'm working for, whether it's the band or if I'm working directly for a front house engineer, like knowing what's important to them, going back to that is what then I'm going to prioritize. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like that's just like, yeah, that's sort of like something that just kind of happens again on like the gigs where, yeah, yeah, that's just sort of a thing. Yeah, you just sort of start to learn what's important to you, the way you work to your artists as well. And yeah, you kind of just start mitigating that stuff while you're working. Yeah. That's kind of just like a second nature thing. I can't say I've thought a lot about, but just kind of happens in the conversations that I have with uh, teams. But yeah, it's totally. And again, I think just that like we all like we're all saying right now, just being friendly just makes mm -hmm. all of that stuff easier and makes it happen. You know, the my secret weapon is that I don't care about mixed position because these festivals, everyone's everyone's getting into this turf war about like I want the I want to be dead center yeah. and like, yeah. I don't care. Put me, I'll be on the grass. I don't give a shit. Like I mean, yeah. I was literally on the fucking grass. You know, <laughs> like not even on the riser. I don't care because I, I would rather if I know the PA is where I want the PA to be, then I don't need to be fussy about my mix position. It shouldn't totally. Matter, right. So absolutely. So that's one of those things that I'm like, hey, dude, four other four other A level artists that are trying to compete for space on this riser. Y'all go where you want. That's cool. I'll fit in. I don't care. And so now I'm 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 they I'm their best friend now. You know, uh, the same thing. I, I, I end up being the same thing. So again, we're first to three on this run. I'm doing monitors uh, for Waxahachie and I'm running an SD 11. The whole point was we have a tiny footprint because we knew this was the case. I'm going to get stuffed. I think I am. I'm the furthest back today. I was sitting directly next to the subs. I'm like looking through IEM, you know, antennas. You can barely see my artist, but I'm kind of the same as you. It's like, you know what? I know my artist. I know they're not. And this gig, incredibly needy. There's no wedges on stage. It's all in-ears. I'm confident with my mix. I know what I need to do. I'm fine. I, like I, Every day I walk in, they're like, all right, Matt, here's what we're thinking. I go, yeah, whatever. It's great. Let's do it. Like It's just right. to me, it's, I'm, I'm ready for it. So I... I, I yeah. I was going to say, and like being flexible is really nice. Like we've done a lot of stuff where like we'll set up further back. And as the day goes on, everyone gets out of the way. Everyone's life's easier. We're like, yeah, you can go get the out done and we just roll forward at the end. Like that's been really nice too. So like I'm out of everybody's way. I don't have to worry about being in the way all day. It's great. Yeah. Get a small console, get it on some wheels and you can go anywhere you want. You start walking around the audience with your opticore. Go for it. Have fun. <laughs> Man, I was, I was laughing when we were at Coachella because everyone's bringing in, you know, S6Ls and SD7s and just big, you know, big, big, big things. And obviously footprints always an issue and you've got seven, bands in a row or something like that you know and this this guy i gave actually gave him my card because i would, I would have loved to have him on the show and i actually haven't heard from him but i was he he showed up he took a dust cover off an sq5 plopped it down plugged one cable into it mixed probably the best sounding show of the day 
and yep. picked up his console and left. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> totally. That's amazing. <laughs> what a flex. What a flex to walk I in. <laughs> like, just walking with the smallest console, the smallest setup, and you just say, yeah, put me where... Like, I mean, and they're so ripped. They sounded awesome, yeah. man. It was I'm so not great. And I was like, I, I told him too. I was like, dude, this is, this is, you know, and it was just funny. He's amidst all these $300,000 desks and just didn't care. Picked it up, walked away. And it's like, that's the, that's badass. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that. Like that, that just feels like that's just how it always is. I've, I've definitely had that experience on my end as well. Uh, yeah, no, I get that. That's great. Um, so. You, what, have you had any like local delicacies in Canandaigua or or just catering? Uh, just, 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 just catering. No, yeah, very few locals. We've been doing catering each day and the shows are, you know, I'm kind of on site enough that haven't gone to. Yeah, I know you want to talk food. I know you're well, curious I know, about it's it. Like, but... So you don't have any like tour, uh, you don't have any like nice food spots you've picked up along the way or anything, anything memorable? Not on this run, no. On this run, we've been doing... No, I'll tell okay, I'll tell you. There, there's a spot that I have become obsessed with. When I'm TMing, I've like made sure the bus parks at the hotel next to this place. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina <laughs> has a steakhouse. Oh, Sam's from there. Do you know Beef and Bottle? I do. Um, I'm in love. I'm absolutely in love with wow, it. Wow, the, Sam, the way you said that, that I do. you sounded like it's you were good. in love with it too. It was like, <laughs> it was oh. sultry. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered it just, li- they, you know, ended up booking this hotel because it could park our bus. And I was like, okay, great. Let's do it. It was like one of those days where we're mid tour, we're exhausted. And I was like, all right, let's do a family dinner. I looked on the map. Okay. There's this steakhouse. And I remember looking at the menu, looking at photos of the steakhouse and then looking at the prices of the steak. And I thought something's going on here. The steaks are quite expensive and this place kind of looks like a dump. Like it looks like it hasn't been touched in like a long time. I'm like, yep. there's something going on here. Let's go. And <laughs> The nicest bar food you'll ever eat. It's amazing. They're all they're all dry aged filet. Uh, they've got. I think my favorite part about that place is they've got this lady who's been making the uh, seafood sauce for like fifty years by hand. And again, you just watch, you hear stuff like that. You're like, yeah, like whatever, whatever you want me to eat, I'm gonna just bring it to my table. I'm gonna eat it. <laughs> so it's, he's right though. Like you're, you like you look at it and you're like, this is gonna be like bar food. And then you like look at the menu and you're like, no, no, it's not. Uh, I I will raise you one. I have one recommendation for please dress dresslers in South Charlotte. Okay, yeah, I my favorite restaurant in the city. I'm all for it. Hey, I, you know what, guys? I know I, I know we're getting near the end here, but I just I, this kind of caught me yesterday, and I really wanted to talk about this. And I'm going to totally take this in a totally separate direction. But uh, hey, you're the guest, man. Uh, no, we, we love it when the guests yeah, are prepared yeah, because yeah. we certainly aren't. So it's oh, guys, I'll, I'll I'm gonna kiss your butts for a second here you guys were like such this this uh podcast was such a such a benefit for me over covid like um working working in the states uh i i am a canadian working in the states and at the time i had no one visa and um that's that's a that's kind of a work visa that is strictly dedicated to just the job that you get that visa for so i was an audio engineer that's the only job i could do over covid that sort of disappeared i wasn't doing church work so th- this podcast was like such a, such like a, th- this gave me so much education. Like I, I listen, I, I truly do listen to like all your episodes along with a whole bunch of other podcasts. It was just like really fantastic. So thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Um, Chris, you posted this thing on Facebook the other day and you were talking about kind of struggling with uh, the work and at home kind of, uh, that that really struck me that, that, I mean, first off, good for you for like, that was deep. That was, that was really, uh, that was really intense stuff you're saying there. Um, 
I guess I don't know how I want to lead into this, but I just kind of wanted to like touch on it for a little bit. I, I think that's like something that isn't necessarily talked about enough or I feel like, you know, I, I do talk to people about this. Um, and I wish it, I, I guess part of me is like, I want to like answer, I want to give you an answer that's going to like help you out here. But like, yeah, that, that stuff really hit me. Like, how, how you doing, man? How you, how's, how's today going? <laughs> how's today going? Um, I'm doing good. So it's funny. I, you know, we're, we plan on recording two episodes tonight. We actually are going to dig into that on our second episode. Um, Sam's probably going to go to bed because it's like, no, she's here. Wow. She's here. Oh, she's here. I, I, um, no, I, I loaded in earlier, so I don't have to leave the hotel. Okay. Till noon. Is there, is there coffee in your, in your jellyfish glowing hotel room though? No, but there is a Denny's front of house work box. There okay. is an espresso machine. Okay, good. good. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's first off, thank you uh, for couple, you know, on a multiple levels. Like you know, I appreciate the the feedback on the podcast. It's really been cool to see the impact that it's had on the industry through not just through COVID, but beyond COVID. And 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 um, but you know, yes. Um, was I mentally at a rough spot last Wednesday? This is you know, a week ago when we rec- recorded this. Um, that that episode that came out today is whatever you know. Yeah. Today. The 15th time era. traveling uh, does chris from yeah. the future yeah yeah i know so. anyway um uh yes um however I, i'm good um and we'll dig into that more i, I yeah. think i think look our industry lends itself to and this is just the arts community in general i would say uh, creative types lends itself to uh, wrestling with work-life balance. And I'm not saying that people in a typical office environment don't wrestle with that because there are workaholics and things like that, right? But I feel like when we are in an industry where it's passion-driven, it is very difficult, often often difficult Mm. to separate home life and uh, and work life because like many of us, and you kind of said this earlier, it's like, we do this because we love, and it's the it's the funny thing is you're told as a kid, um, you know, uh, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. That's a blessing and a curse, right? Um, and um, I, you know, I've had multiple people reach out to me, and I plan on digging into this when we do a, a little more deep dive into this. But like, and I thank you everyone for reaching out to me. I, I'm I, I am in a good spot. Um, I think for me it's um. I, I just really believe that we need to talk about these things because I don't think there's a perfect answer. Everyone's going to have their own little nuances, whether it's the nuances within your relationship that you have with your significant others or friends. It's not, it doesn't have to be um, um, husbands, wives, girlfriends, whatever. It doesn't have to be you know that type of thing. It could be just even close friends. Um, but we've, uh, I mean, kids. just come up in just between the four of us. Sure. We have our group tech. I mean, you know. Kyle's, Kyle's been talking about this for years since since he came on the show. You know, I mean, that was he he came on this show because he had gotten thrown out of his his other gig, and he was mm-hmm. like, "What do I do? And do I go home?" And so those are those are things. I mean, Sam called me like last week, and she's like, "I think I want to tour for like nine months a year." And I was like, "I don't think you do. Like, like you know, do, what kind of life do you want? Do you want to have a cat? Do you want to have a, a spouse? Like, do you want like you you need to figure out." And the answer is going to be different when you're when you're 21 sure. and when you're 31 and when you're 41. But but are we at least are you at least asking yourselves those questions? You know, what 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 things are important to me? Um, yeah. And and then acting based on that, because I, I think sometimes we don't stop and, and ask ourselves those questions, you know? 
Yeah, I think. And I think. Good, sorry. Well, and I think knowing like where you are and what you want and what you're doing is going to change, right? Like right now I'm at a camp I really like. So it makes it really easy for me on good days to say, I want to stay out here forever. And then I do a four in a row and I was like, forget this. I want to go home two weeks early. Um, and so it's kind of knowing that like it's going to change and what you need and want right now will be very different than what you need and want later. And sometimes what you want and what you need aren't always the same thing. Yeah. And kind of like starting to accept that, like, you know, maybe I thought this was going to go this way, but this is a far better fit for the lifestyle I want and the sustainability of my career. You know, Chris, you guys always say it's a marathon, not sprint, as you all affectionately like to remind me, as I need to remind it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's a big part of it. I think in the like the spoiler alert of like, you know, the, the deeper dive into this is that for me, um, I didn't see that question or that you know, that it was literally like ten minutes of episode one fifty eight. Uh, for those who don't know the context of what we're talking about, uh, where Kyle and I kind of dove into this, and it, um, well, I don't know if you could really tell it my voice or not. It hit me pretty dang hard uh, in the moment when when it was when it was coming out, um, and uh, um, it, hindsight, it was for me. I'm a very um, Sam knows this, uh, and Michael knows this a little bit. Like I'm a verbal processor, which is probably not a shock to many of you. Um, and and so um, for me, if nothing else, this is just I I've accepted the fact that I'm I'm 100 percent with being okay with being as vulnerable as as I can in front of uh, y'all that listen, and there are a fair amount of you. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, and, and same with even just like posting on Facebook and stuff. And, and I, I truly believe in, you know, these are the conversations we need to be having in the public sphere to break the stigmas of, you know, like it's not okay. Right. To, to, to deal with this or, uh, that's not right. Um, uh, it's, it's, um, I think we it's all, about, it's just we, about we, we all are going to have a conversation. Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I like most stigmas, whether it's mental health, whether it's uh, uh, substance abuse, whether whatever the things are, um, y- you know, uh, there's no one is um, everyone is susceptible to it. Right. And so uh, I, because we do have called a platform call it whatever um you know i feel obligated it's just, to, it's just your base voice there's no platform it's just your no I'm, but I'm I, like your voice that's what this is no but i'm saying like <laughs> in terms of platform in other words that like because there are fair amount of people who lis- listen or look at our, our groups our discord our facebook or whatever like i feel a certain amount of obligation to be like hey like you know if, if we're gonna help move a change within our industry within our people um i have to be able to be able to be as vulnerable and honest as possible with that and so that that's what i'm trying to do and it's just as much therapy for me as it is i hope that other people gain uh the the space and and, yeah there's there's a synergy and and we should you know we should we should wrap it up but you know our, our discord we had like a four hour dialogue today about different ways to do redundancy and failover and backup for PA systems. And you like, you know, and we, and so we got Finley in there and Ollie and like a bunch of just really good, knowledgeable folks who were going to say, well, this is how I do it and why. And here's the flaws of that approach. And like, that's, that's, that's a great thing to be a part of whether or not you're passionate about, you know, 
<laughs> about AVB failover <laughs> modes, right? Like, like that's not the point. The point is that um, having those dialogues is what makes us all better. And so I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's kind of, you know, lending their knowledge and their expertise and their experiences to, to those dialogues, because that makes everybody better. So if you're not a member of our Discord, come check it out. It's cool stuff. And, and, and uh, I'll, there's pictures I'll, of birds I'll, and cats I'll, and stuff. I'll throw out real quick, though, that like, it's not inherently in me to be as open and vulnerable as I am with this. It's because, and I'll literally point this back to, for those who know who I have talked about this. So Matt Carter, who we've had on the podcast before, he has another podcast and a thing that I've been a part of or listened to and or mentored by him through years. And it's quite frankly, because of him and what he's transformed for me mentally. And I want to pass that on to our community and, and emulate what I've seen over there and so um i i don't want i don't want any uh pats on the back or whatever like oh thank you for sure like i i appreciate people thanking i understand where people's sentiments are coming from but like um um i just want to see all of us better as a community and humans right so that's that's it's really where this comes from well it takes so, it takes people like you to talk about it for that to happen. I mean it's it's not gonna happen if we all just hope that it happens. So like people do need to talk about it. I guess that's what I was trying to say. It's like I this is something I talk with a lot of bands I work with, um, younger and older, and I, I, I explain to them the way I approach it and kind of the way I mentally keep on top of things. And I just I, I think it's important to have that conversation and I and I do like to have it. And when I saw that pop up online, it's like, wow, this is a very big divergence from what I often hear you guys talk about. But it's a very important part of our industry, and we all know that. But it's it's more, it takes more than just knowing that. We need to talk about it. We need to share how we accomplish it. And, anyways, you don't want commitment, but I think that's great for you. That's yeah, good for you. That's great. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. Ask me your question, Sam. All right. So, what do you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, I'm not used to this. this isn't the this isn't the normal question you guys ask at the end? Sam's well, new question. We had to bring oh, someone gosh. else in to help change it up, you know. I mean, you know, for oh, the they, they left me with vices. This is what happens. I've got the answer for this. And like, and you know, I'm talking to a bunch of like really technically savvy people. When I grew up in this industry, I, I fell in love with it, but very much the art of it. And I I didn't this is almost embarrassing. I really only learned this, really started to learn this at the kind of, you know, around COVID time. I never understood audio as a science. I always treated it as an mm. art and as a feeling. I really wish, you know, I never did a production company thing. I always just kind of started freelancing and that's where I'm still at. I wish I really understood that so much of this is measurable science. This is mm. not, none of this is black magic. Wireless, RF, audio, it's all hold measurable. On, hold on, we, we had an episode recently. Mastering is still black magic of voodoo. I'll still attest to that. There's no, that's not <laughs> no, science. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mastering's easy. Okay, mastering's easy. You buy $10,000 EQs. You have gold-plated power prongs. That's mastering. <laughs> but you know what? You know what, Matt? I think some people are resistant to that idea because they feel that it like cheapens the art or lessens the art. And I, I completely disagree. I mean, it's about having the technical facility to really express the art the best way you can. I think yeah. that's how I would frame it. I that, I wish they were. I wish I understood how intertwined they were because I, I think I thought the same as you. It's like I remember reading the textbooks in school, but I you know, and I, I there was a ton of math in there. I didn't pay attention to it, obviously. But yeah, like I really wish, yeah, they go hand in hand. Absolutely. You're, you're, I mean, frankly, you're just wrong if you don't see it that way. Sweet. Chris. All right, Matt, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? 
I'm a, I'm a Canadian boy. I just want to be, uh, I was kind of, I've sort of been saying this the whole time. It's really important to me that I get along with the people I work with. I just want to be, I just kind of want to be liked as an, as an engineer and as a person. And I think those two are again, totally linked. Uh, I, I don't think you can be a great engineer if you're an asshole. Ah, that's not entirely true, but I really think the two are linked closely. Uh, I just want to be known as like a, a guy that was fun to work with and did his job well. How many Canadian tuxedos do you own? I wish I'd worn. I do. I do wear them. I absolutely go out of my way and wear them. I, it's, it's the greatest. You guys got to do it. It's the best. <laughs> Sorry. Matt, thank you for joining us, man. It was a pleasure chatting with you. I really appreciate your time. Oh, so thanks for having me on. This this is great. I, great to be a part of it. Thanks.